Luke chapter 13 and 14 as we continue to study God's word chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we'll, Lord willing, get through 13 and 14 tonight. First five verses of Luke chapter 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans who blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now I want to stop at a heavy turn to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 3 and make a point. There's a lot of misconceptions that people have about um, getting saved and um, the conditions for it. Of course, John chapter 3 is a famous chapter about the necessity of being born again. Everybody's familiar with John 3.16, but not 17, 18, and 19, which are very, very important to understand the state of, of, of uh, mankind. So let's pick it up in verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of, Son of God. Um, planet Earth is under a curse, and the whole planet is condemned. So that puts every person, uh, David said, I, I was conceived this way in my mother's womb, and there's just no getting around the infection of sin from birth. And... Um, the point, that you can go back to um, Luke now. The point that the Lord is making here, it's not an issue when a bad thing happens to a person that um, they were worse sinners than somebody else. Again, I'll remind you of Job's friends. Um, Job was in such mental torment uh, after losing seven sons and three daughters and all of his possessions, that when they came, his friends came to see him, nobody said a word for one week. They just sat. Can you imagine they just sat and looked at him for a whole week. And then they began to speak. All they could come up with as a conclusion, Job, obviously, you got some sin that you're not being honest about. If you just fess up, then everything's going to be okay. The Lord is putting that to rest right here. Um, believer or non-believer, um, the scriptures are very clear that um, those, the wise men who hear the word of God still have hard storms and trials in life, but it says their house didn't fall because it was built on a sod solid foundation of God's word. Then it goes on and he says, foolish people, 
they hear the word of God, but they don't do it, and they go through storms in life, but they don't stand because they have no solid foundation. So you have the wise man. Uh, Hopefully you're here tonight wanting to be open to God's word, to glean something. Uh, Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. It's a growing process. We're being changed, it says, from glory to glory. Um, We're getting changed from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. We're gonna have some stuff. We started our Bible study with milk. Basic understanding that everybody is condemned. And basically, the, the Lord is the lifeboat. He's the only lifeboat. So, uh, verse five, unless you repent, you will likewise perish because all, the whole world, is under uh, God's judgment and condemnation. All right, verses six through 10. Then he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree, planted it in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And then he said to the keepers of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and he said to him, sir, let it alone just this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, good. But if not, then after that you can cut it down. Um, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 27 for this one. And have you look at verse 25. The fig tree is the nation of Israel. John 1 verse 11 tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. Um, The whole Old Testament is a hope of the Messiah coming to establish the kingdom. Now he's showing up and um, he's being rejected by his own. And in verse, um, Matthew 27 here is um, the night when he was uh, betrayed and um, In verse 25, the people responded and answered and said, his blood be on us and our children. This is um, a statement of rejection. And the Lord is going to go on to say, let's go back to uh, Luke. That... um, the nation of Israel, he came looking for fruit from them. He found none. Instead of being received and accepted, uh, they rejected him and said, let his blood be on our head. Now at this point, there's gonna be this division where he's going to turn uh, away from, this is the Lord's last trip to Jerusalem, and he's going to be saying some parting words to them And we'll get into a little bit more in depth when we get to that part of the study. Uh, Verse 11, uh, 10 through 17 is a very interesting part to me. Just when you, uh, you notice the location where it's taking place, 
But then the condition of the woman and what makes it complicated and, and mysterious is that the Lord clearly says the infliction is to this woman is because of Satan. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on a Sabbath. So it's important that you get the setting here. We would say he's in church. And behold, verse 11, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over and no way raised herself up. I just wanted to make this real for me, so I tried to picture what it would be like that way for 18 years. The Lord's going to emphasize that uh, in verse 16, for 18 years. So the setting is in church. So here we have a Jewish woman who is in synagogue on, on the Sabbath, and then in verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Can you imagine? 18 years in a bent over position, and in a second of time, she's upright. She's, we're gonna find out she's Jewish, obviously. She's in the synagogue. Now, the head um, Pharisee or the ruler of, in this case, of the synagogue, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. I mean, everybody there had to have their minds completely blown on what had just taken place. But he is blowing his top because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days, now he's talking to, imagine being in a setting like we are right now, Uh, and he looks now around at the crowd. He says, are there not six days on which men ought to work? Therefore, come and be healed on one of them, and not on a Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered, if you want to get the Lord upset, he gets upset right here. You hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose if he loses his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, okay, it's well established, she's Jewish, whom Satan has bound. Now, again, this reminds me of Paul's thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. So, why God allows things, God is still sovereign. And why he allows that infirmity, we know, Paul tells us why with his infirmity. We don't have the answer here. Paul says, uh, uh, the Lord said to Paul, Paul, I let this happen to you because um, when you're weak, then you're strong. And he said, I've allowed these things to happen to you because of the abundance of the revelations Did I say revelations? This is the one time it's appropriate for me to say it. (laughs) Because I'm not talking about the last book of the Bible. Somebody's gonna grab me afterwards and say, you said revelations. (laughs) Well, that's what 2 Corinthians 12 says. Because of the many multitudes of revelations and visions. Well, he had gone to heaven. 
And um, he could have bragged about that, written books about that. He says, no, 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 no. We gotta keep you humble, Paul. So I'm gonna allow this to happen. I'm gonna let you have a thorn in the flesh. So the explanation for Paul's infirmity is laid out. This one's got me stumped. I wish the Lord had given an explanation for this one. He does not, except to say that um, uh, it was Satan whom Satan has bound. And then it says, think of it, for 18 years. He's expecting rejoicing and uh, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And they indeed well have, should have been put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So we have this woman bent over for 18 years. The Lord immediately touches her, um, standing up straight for the first time. And um, no compassion or rejoicing on uh, uh, the head ruler of the synagogue. Verses 18 and 19 is a parable of the mustard seed, and it's akin to the parable of the leaven in 20 and 21. I would like to look at them separately. So let's look at uh, the parable of the mustard seed first of all. What is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it? Well, it's like a mustard seed which a man took, put it in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in it. Okay, I'm going to have you, we're going to go a little bit more in depth in this. I'm going to have you turn to um, Matthew chapter 13 and throw out a big theological word to you, expositional constancy. What is expositional constancy? Well, basically, in the parable of the, of the, of the, the soils, we have, um, let's just read verses, um, um, starting in verse three of chapter 13. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Now this is where the terminology expositional constancy is gonna come in with the bird. But let's go on a little bit farther. Uh, Some of them fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprung up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some 30, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples came to the Lord and said, Lord, would you please explain what you just said about this parable? So he does, in verse 18 he says, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God, the kingdom, he likens it to a guy who has a handful of seed who's going on doing this, throwing it out just scattering and sowing the seed. And some of, it, some of it fell on stony ground. And that, going back to verse four, 
it didn't survive because birds came. So we read in verse 18, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes. All right, now, we just found out who the birds are. Um, Spiritual warfare. Um, We don't talk about spiritual warfare enough and the reality of it. Um, And snatches away that which was sown in his heart. So it's a person who hears God's word. It's placed in his heart, but it's taken away. And when I, I like to use this parable in talking to people that have just come to the Lord because I tell them, you need to know what you're in for. (laughs) Because now you have two natures and not just one. Before it was just the flesh and you live just to gratify the flesh. Now you have the spirit of God in you and it says that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit. So the first thing I like to tell them is you're in a battle. And it starts right here, right now, because this is the day that you accepted Jesus. Now, I don't know how it's going to manifest itself. Maybe you're going to go to the work and the guys are going to find out that you became one of those holy rollers or one of those people or one of them guys. And um, you just lost all of your friends. I literally lost all of my friends. I thought they'd be excited, uh, but they weren't. But one by one, they began to drop. (laughs) And one by one, they started um, coming around to the Lord. So what we're finding out here, this terminology, expositional constancy, that if, in the parables, if a bird is demonic in one parable, then if we have another parable, let's go back, because we do have another parable, in um, Luke chapter 13, and we're in verse 18. What is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed which a man took, put in his garden, and it grew into a large tree. Well, first of all, we got a problem with this. First of all, mustard seeds don't grow into great big oak trees, and that's what happened here abnormal growth. And then he says, and the birds of the air nested in the branches. And so what we have is um, false doctrine, false teaching, Um, the church turning into something that the Lord never intended it to be. Um, Paul clearly warned about this, especially this generation that there would be those churches that would have not only not have sound doctrine, but doctrines of demons. Isn't that what it says? It says doctrines of demons where? In the church. So now we have something that's not normal. The average Calvary Chapel is, they say about 200 people. But yet today we have mega churches, what we call mega churches, and many churches to this desiring to become a megachurch. We can use Joel Olstein for an example. 48,000 people uh, show up. But, um, oh, do I let the side of the bag for Sunday or not? What do you think? Should I tell you or not tell you? Go, go for it? No, I'm getting yeses and noes. 
How about if I just give you the title? I'll give you the title in a little bit of details because nobody talks about it. Time will tell, heaven or hell. The Bible studies on hell on Sunday. And I'll bet you any money that Joel Olstein has never even mentioned the word uh, from the pulpit. And I'll bet you there's many churches that would not touch it with a 10-foot pole. But we are. Do you know why? Because if you teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse, you're gonna have to deal with heaven and hell. So the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man goes to hell. And I'm gonna get into detail. I got some good old books. The really good stuff is old, just so you know. The old songs, the the richness I'm not talking about. Uh, We have some good um, Christian musicians uh, that, that are writing well songs today, but most of it's a show in a lot of contemporary circles today. But we also have Lazarus going to heaven. So doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy? And are you having second thoughts about coming on Sunday? <laughs> so um, here, where the, the misunderstanding is, is... Um, explain more fully when we go into the next one. So we're, Jesus is actually saying that there's gonna be abnormal growth. Mustard seeds do not grow in oak trees. That's abnormal. Um, and there should never be, uh, birds of the air are nested in its branches. Again, the word, if you wanna learn that big word, expositional constancy, is consistent that if a, a bird is demonic in the parable of the sower, then it's also demonic in the parable of the mustard seed. Everybody with me on that? All right, let's go on, because these two are coupled together, and um, uh, this one is really misunderstood. Verse 20 and 21, and he's, again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Uh, you will find commentary after commentary of people saying that this is a picture of what the kingdom of God is all about. That we're going to, like leaven goes in and it, it uh, penetrates. And it's a, really a picture of the gospel going into all the world and the world is going to be Christianized And when it has all become Christians, then and only then can Jesus return. Now, anybody with their eyes open today know that's not happening. But let's look at this. And let me give you just some facts on leaven itself. Leaven represents not the gospel, but a principle of evil. Leaven never represents good as used in the Bible. Leaven occurs about 98 times in the Bible, 75 times in the Old Testament, 23 times in the New Testament. It is always, always used in a bad sense. And although many sincere folks think of leaven as representing the gospel, which will spread over the entire world and convert the world, they're going to be doomed to disappointment. There will be no kingdom, no peace, until Christ returns to establish 
his kingdom on the earth. The organized church cannot bring in his kingdom. In his own good time, the Lord himself will come and establish the kingdom. But that only comes after the end of the seven-year tribulation period. So again, we have, um, um, Pastor Chuck used to always say to the young pastors, he said, make sure you really have at least 10 years under your belt before you start getting a serious Bible study about the parables because most of the commentaries have them wrong. All right, verses 22. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. All right, this will be the last time the Lord is gonna make this trip. We first read about him going to Jerusalem with Mary and Joseph when he was 12 years old. Well, he's been doing this his whole life. But the last three years, he's been doing it um, as a revealed Messiah. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? This is put in the form of a question. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. It would be like saying, we went to church every Sunday. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you or where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Many people that go to church every Sunday do not have a personal relationship, are not born again, and uh, that's clearly what the Lord is saying right here. They're called Christian. If you ask, are you a Christian? Oh, sure, I'm a Christian. Then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Sunday's gonna get graphic, And I'm going to actually pause and make you think about what wailing and gnashing of teeth would be like. That that really is happening. And this is one of the descriptions when they find out that they're not going to heaven, but they're going to hell, what it's going to be like. What's it going to be like? Well, there's going to be wailing. Ever hear somebody wail before? Gnashing of teeth because of the agony? You'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourself will be thrust out. Uh, They will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and sit down at the kingdom of God. And indeed, they are last who will be first and they are first who will be last. We're gonna be really surprised. Um, when we get to heaven, first of all, who's gonna be there? You're gonna look at them and say, you made it? <laughs> well, I knew I was gonna, I wasn't sure about you. So now, with the reality of what is about to take place, um, this is um, one of the places where the, it tells us that Jesus uh, um, wept. Verse 31 On that very day, some Pharisees came to him. Get out, depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to him, go tell that fox 
Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. And then he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. This is the history of Israel. And of course, I think of especially Jeremiah. Um, Historians tell us, Isaiah, they saw it in two. He said, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. I wanted to. I sent the prophets to you, but you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. Assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, there's two thoughts here. Um, I've read where the saying, blessed is he who comes, you're not gonna see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, um, this would have uh, happened on on Palm Sunday, and uh, they were quoting Psalm 118 at that time. Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I don't think that is what this is referring to. He's saying to them, they said to him, all right, let your blood be on our heads. And so they were removing themselves from him and now he's going to take the gospel and gives the instructions to his disciples to take it into all all the world and to the Gentiles. Now, this is where we're gonna look get a little sidetracked here. I'm going to have you turn to uh, the book of Hosea, chapter 5. It's one of the minor prophets. It's right after Daniel, so that'll make it a little bit easier, easier to find. And it's right before Joel. So Hosea, chapter 5. To me, this is a very, very important verse to understand God's dealing with the nation of Israel. Um, There are those out there that believe in what we call, this will give you a little chance to expose um, uh, what's called the dual covenant. Um, Hagee is a dual covenant. What is a dual covenant? A dual covenant is that God has made one covenant with Israel, the Jews, and a different covenant with the Gentiles, and um, that's not the case at all. Otherwise, Paul would have never said, um, my heart's desire is that uh, Israel, my people, the Jewish people, would be saved. And let's pick it up in chapter five, in verse 15, there should not be a chapter changed to chapter six is a continuing thought where this is the Lord speaking, I will return again to my place. Well, he's the only one that can say that. He's the only one who's ever been to heaven, come to earth, and then is gonna go back to heaven. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense. He's talking about 
uh, Jewish people. But what I want to point out here, it's not offenses. It's singular. One sin. Then they shall seek my face, and in their affliction, so they're going to go through this tremendous, difficult period of time, then they will diligently seek me. So this one verse right here, there's a lot of theology in it. First of all, um, he's talking about a single sin. And what was their sin? Well, let his blood be on our head. We don't want anything to do with you. The Lord says, okay, you're not going to see me again. You're not going to see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When does that take place? And why does it take place? Well, it says, they will seek my face in their affliction. So they're actually now seeking the Lord because of, of the affliction that is being placed upon them. They will diligently seek me. Then, this is what they say. Chapter six, verse one. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn, but he'll heal us. He has stricken, but he will build us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. Now, this is one of the scriptures that I do when the Lord says one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. This is where I make that connection, and I apply it to verse, one, verse two of Hosea chapter six. It's been two days since the Lord's been gone, 2,000 years. But what's gonna happen on the third day? We enter into a seven, it'll be the beginning of a seven, the seventh uh, uh, thousand years. Man has been here for 6,000 years. 2,000 years ago, or two days ago, Jesus was here. What did he say he was gonna do? Well, I'm gonna go back to where I came from. Until Israel, during the time of affliction, Acknowledge their, acknowledges their one single sin, which was the rejection of the Messiah. And when they acknowledge that, they say, come, let us return to the Lord. When? During a time of great affliction. The third day we will live in his sight. Well, that's the kingdom age. Um, I thought it was 7,000 years, but um, Judy and I were watching one of those nature programs last night, and they showed us a bug that was 26 million years old. And um, so now I'm, now I'm really confused. <laughs> we just, we, whenever they say it, we can't help it, we just burst out laughing. And, um, and yet, these guys come across, um, well, the scripture that comes to mind, professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. Uh, they, their, their pride and their ego. And think, do you really believe there was a flood? You actually believe that Noah was in a flood and that, that, that Jonah lived in a fish? You guys really believe that stuff? Oh, absolutely. All the scientific data supports creation and a young earth. All scientific data supports a worldwide flood. And uh, Russ Miller, our good friend, um, 
slam dunk. He, he doesn't use scripture. He uses science to prove Noah's flood with the Grand Canyon and for those of you who have been there. Let us, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord who is going forth as established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. He will come back again. All right, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, the first six verses point out the main characters. They are symbolic. A male child, a woman, and a fiery red dragon. The woman is Israel, the male child is Jesus, and the fiery red dragon is the devil. And Dwight, you say, how can you be so sure that the fiery red dragon is the devil? So if you go down to verse 9, so the great that was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world and was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And then it tells us, In verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. This is in the middle of the great tribulation period. The short time literally is three and a half years. That's how much time he knows he has left. And he only has one card left to play. In his arrogance and pride, he still thinks he can win. And so what he does, verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Who is the woman? Israel, who gave birth to the male child. I'm watching carefully all the stuff that's happening and with Iran right now and what's, what's heating up and um, what could trip the trigger for the Ezekiel 38 and 39 more could happen so easily with what's going on right now. Uh, but this, um, well, hey, the church is in heaven at this time. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, singular, times plural, and half a time. Time is one year, times plural is two, two and one is three, and half half a time, three and a half years from the present of the serpent. I know I say this a lot, but that's how we learn. The different descriptions in breaking down um, this seven-year period of time, you have to know uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter nine, Daniel's 70th week. Um, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. What did we read? we read in Hosea? A time of affliction when they're being afflicted. Who does the devil go after? So the, goes after the woman. And so the servant, uh, serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood uh, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Again, I believe if there's symbolism in the first six verses, I believe this is symbolism here too. More than likely, a plane is helping them make their escape. Um, Isaiah, if you're taking notes, chapter six tells us that this place is Selah, or Petra, in Jordan. Um, Matthew 24 tells us that 
when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then run. Pray that it's not in the wintertime. Pray that you're not pregnant. Uh, For then there will be great tribulation. Hosea again, chapter six, affliction. They're not crying out until all this pressure is being placed upon them. Who's putting the pressure on them? Well, the devil. He knows he's got three and a half years. So if they're, think of it this way. If there is no Israel, why do you think the eyes of the world are on Israel right now? And um, people choosing sides. Either you're for or against. Is, I don't know anybody that's not one way or the other. Why? Because if there is no Israel, if they're completely annihilated, and by the way, that's the reason there was a holocaust, uh, um, an attempt by the devil using Hitler to destroy all the Jews. That was a mandate. That was a command. Every Jew must die. Well, why? Well, if there's no Jews and there's nobody there to say, Lord, come, we repent. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is the only card he's got to play. Oh, I'm glad I know the end of this story. I'm glad I know how it all turns out. And I'm glad to know what happens to him. Actually, you're gonna see him someday. Do you know that? It says in the Old Testament that they'll look upon him and they'll say, is that him? Is this the one that caused all my troubles? And is this the one that caused all the troubles in the world? And they'll look at him in amazement that there's a creature called Lucifer. He's, he's an eternal being. Well, here's one of my thoughts for Sunday. Why did God create hell? The Bible tells us. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. There's your answer. Um, let's finish this up. We left off. And the earth helped the woman, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with her and with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. These are Christians, messianic. And so we have them in their affliction um, coming to a place where the Lord tells them where to go and it's at this place where they call upon the Lord. Um, I have to keep going, otherwise we won't get through 14. So let's make our way back to Luke. And then the morning over Jerusalem. And now in context, as we read this, he looks and he weeps. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He knows all this is going to happen. And all the things that they're going to have to go through. He says, your house has left you desolate. And surely I say to you, you shall not see me again until... You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Chapter 14. Luke only records, um, Luke, I should say Luke alone, records a delightful occasion of the Lord Jesus going out to dinner at the house of one of the chief Pharisees and of his giving host. And a guest um, gives him a lesson on uh, being polite at dinner. Also, there are two other parables in this chapter that are in no other gospel, the, uh, the building of the tower 
and the king preparing to make war, which both relate to discipleship. He concludes with the parable of the salt that loses its, its flavor. Chapter 14. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. Well, this was probably by invitation, and it was by invitation, really, for a setup. They were always trying to trap him. So one of them invites him home for lunch. And behold, there was a certain man there who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I mean, he saw right through these guys. He knew why he was invited. Uh, The guy who had dropsy, he was a plant, and he knew their thoughts, and he said, uh, what do you think, guys? Is it lawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath day? But they kept silent, because they're the ones that set this thing up. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Just like that. I mean, uh, these amazing wonders that the Lord did. Then he answered them, saying, Now he's addressing them. Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. (laughs) They couldn't. What could they say? So he told them the parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best place saying to them, He wants to show them their hypocrisy. And the Lord did a good deed on the Sabbath day. And really, he's trying to, what he's going to point out to these guys, they're just jockeying for position to be uh, more impressive, let's say, than another Pharisee or another lawyer or another scribe. So he tells a story. When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, Do not sit down in the best place. Why does he say that? Verse seven says, as they were coming to eat now, he was watching them. And he was watching who sat where. Now I gotta give you a little background here. When we go to Israel, we go to a Genesis land. And um, it's Abraham's tent. And you have to put on robes so you look like Abraham. And uh, the meal that they serve us, you sit on, on a rug and the table is low, Uh, and what was customary, let me use this as an example. When Peter wanted to know who would betray the Lord, every one of you guys will betray me this night, Peter was sitting at a place that was not prominent. The place of the most important would have been where the Lord was sitting. The next most, most important place would have been the person on the right, who happened to be, no, Judas. Judas Iscariot. Now, John was on the left. And so when the question came up, who is it? Peter was going, John, who doubts who it was? And so John puts his head on the Lord's shoulders and says, who is it? Oh, the one who dips uh, uh, in, into the salsa and, and eats it. He no sooner says it and Judas takes it and eats it. But my point is the order of, of uh, honor at a place when he sit down to eat. Verse seven said he was watching because everybody wanted to be closest to the place of honor. 
He says, but when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place. That's telling us that there's different places of honor at a wedding feast. Less one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So as they're jockeying for position, um, he's pointing out um, their desire um, to be more prominent. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, come on up here. You're sitting way too far away. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sat at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to to him who invited him. Remember, he was invited to this dinner. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends. Well, these were all his friends that he invited. Your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you're repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you, and you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Okay, this is a reference to um, the judgment seat of Christ for the saved, and um, it's actually uh, a place where you will be rewarded. The Bible says um, um, when you do a good deed or an arm, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do it in secret. Because your heavenly father who sees in secret will reward you openly even to the giving of a glass of water. Go up to somebody and say, here's a glass of water in Jesus' name. Paul Maul does this to me all the time and I just say, you're just greedy. You just want more treasure in heaven. But doing it in such a way that um, they can't be repaid. Verse 15, uh, we had uh, a message on this one called excuses, excuses, excuses. Now when one of those who sat at the table heard these things, he said to him, now now you can see the, the sarcasm start to come out here. Blessed is he who shall eat king, uh, bread in, in the kingdom of God. Uh, and he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first one said to him, well, I just bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, when we did this on a Sunday morning, the irony of this statement is ridiculous. Um, would you go buy a piece of property without looking at it first of all? <laughs> it's a great excuse. Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't think twice about that. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. Would you have me excused too? Still another said, well, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. So that servant came and reported these things to the master then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servants, uh, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Let me put it in context. 
These are the ones that are rejecting him, the ones that had invited him over for a meal. It was a setup. It was a trap about healing somebody on the Sabbath. So he gives up the parable of the ambitious guest. Now he's telling this about them. He's came into his own, and they're giving excuses why they can't believe on him. That's what's being said here. But who will hear them? They didn't enter in because of their self-righteousness. They saw no need for repentance. Um, They kept the law of Moses, or so they said. He says, all right, then go to, to people who will listen. Well, who were people that listened to Jesus? Well, how about the woman caught in adultery? She was a sinner and was about to be stoned. And the Lord put all those who wanted her stoned, put them all in her place, and she called him Lord, and he said, anybody here to condemn you? She said, no one here, Lord. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. He was not condoning the sin. Uh, He was exposing their hypocrisy, and that's what he's doing here. She got saved. So did the guy on the cross. What good works did he have going for him? Never got baptized, never said the sinner's prayer. The best he could come up with was, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Oh, today you'll be with me in paradise. He'd listen. A condemned thief, a prostitute, the woman at the well. It says the poor people heard him gladly, but the threat was a religious hierarchy who couldn't handle him anymore and said he's got to be killed. So let's finish this off. Well, those, uh, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, well, these are people who know they're sinners. And what did Jesus say? Unless you repent, well, you only repent when you know you're a sinner. Unless you repent, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So, um, the servant said, verse 22, Master, it is done as you commanded in her still room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. We'll close it out uh, tonight with the cost of, um, and I got I gotta keep it balanced here in what the Lord is saying. Verse 25, and great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I'm gonna repeat this a couple times so you don't misunderstand it. Here you have to compare scripture with scripture. And when the Lord says, uh, and you must hate your father and your mother, well, doesn't the, the commandment say, honor your father and your mother? And then it says, your wife and children, to hate them? No, it says, husbands, love your wife. And do it in such a way that you lay down your life for them. So what he's saying to, is that your love for him has to be greater than your love for your father and your mother. 
Oh, Dad, I just got born and saved again. I want to go to Bible school. You're throwing away your, your life. You're a fool. And if you do that, you can't have the family business. I actually told you a story that's true about myself. That's what I told my dad when I got saved. I'm going to Bible school. He says, don't do it. You're throwing away your life. And I'll give you the family business. He had a couple of them at the time. And so I could identify with that. And I didn't listen to dad. He's in heaven now, and he was glad. (laughs) But he just didn't understand at the time. And so keeping it in context here, and we're not talking about a little hatred, but a comparison in your love for the Lord and his work, the priority of it. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's not easy being a Christian. Uh, there's, there's things that, you, that we just don't involve ourselves in because they're ungodly, period. For which of you intending to build a tower? Now this is only in Luke's gospel, these last two parables. Which of you intend, intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? That's why when I told you earlier about the parable of the sower and the seed, that you be honest with people when they give their life to the Lord. Tell them, there's a verse that says you have to count the cost. Understand what you're getting yourself into. Old things pass away, all things become new, you are never going to be the same person again. Good place for an amen. You have to count that cost. You have to be aware what you're getting yourself into. And here the Lord says, you gotta count the cost whether you have enough to finish. Lest after he laid the foundation and was not able to finish it, and all who see it began to mock him, saying this man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, and now here's the second one, it's only in Luke's gospel. Or what king going to make war against another king does not first down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. The other guy has twice as many Man in his army, you better sit and think this one out before you take him to war. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, keeping this in context, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Good place for an amen? All right, what is, why do you work? Well, you have to pay house payments. (laughs) And you have to be a good steward over the things that the Lord has entrusted in you. So to keep this in context, um, it's an attitude of of the heart that everything I have belongs to the Lord. And everywhere I go, we'll go. Let's go to Israel this year, Lord willing. We can make the plans, but we gotta put, Lord willing, we'll go to Israel this year. So the idea of all this is uh, priority and, um, and then maintaining it for the long haul. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how is it seasoned? You're the light of the world, salt of the earth. Um, salt is a preservative. And, um, but if it loses that ability, it's really not good for 
anything. It is neither fit for land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We've gone through two chapters of the Bible tonight. We're in the Old Testament. We're all the way in the book of Revelation. And um, um, in it, there's um, many places where we could have got into even more in-depth study, but I'm already five minutes past my time. Some of you are thinking, so what's new with that with you, Dwight? You always go five minutes past your time. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Again, Lord, um, we're so grateful that we know what's going to happen. Your word tells us that you do not call us servants because the master does not tell his servants everything but you call us friend because a friend will tell another friend everything. Lord, we're grateful that you're our Lord, our Savior, and our God, but you're also our best friend. And we're grateful for your grace and your mercy and that we can understand what we just read tonight. You've given us those ears to hear, so let him hear. So as we digest the Bible study tonight, as we go, Lord, may our faith in you increase. You promised that the faith we have would grow um, by the teaching and the hearing of the word of God. And we're so grateful for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that does open up our eyes. So Lord, bless us as we go out tonight. We, I wanna pray as we present the gospel uh, at Al's funeral tomorrow that there'll be those who will maybe see for the first time what Al Stolman was all about. So we pray that you go before us now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. He has cannot be my disciple. Again, keeping this in context, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Good place for an amen? All right, why do you work? Well, you have to make house payments. And you have to be a good steward over the things that the Lord has entrusted in you. So to keep this in context, um, it's an attitude of of the heart that everything I have belongs to the Lord. And everywhere I go, we'll go. Let's go to Israel this year, Lord willing. We can make the plans, but we gotta put, Lord willing, we'll go to Israel this year. So the idea of all this is uh, priority and, um, and then maintaining it for the long haul. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how is it seasoned? You're the light of the world, salt of the earth. Um, salt is a preservative. And, um, but if it loses that ability, it's really not good for anything. It is neither fit for land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We've gone through two chapters of the Bible tonight. We're in the Old Testament. We're all the way in the book of Revelation. And um, um, in it, there's um, many places where we could have got into even more in-depth study, but I'm already five minutes past my time. Some of you are thinking, so what's new with that with you, Dwight? You always go five minutes past your time. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Again, Lord, um, we're so grateful 
that we know what's going to happen. Your word tells us that you do not call us servants because the master does not tell his servants everything. But you call us friend because a friend will tell another friend everything. Lord, we're grateful that you're our Lord, our Savior, and our God, but you're also our best friend. And we're grateful for your grace and your mercy and that we can understand what we just read tonight. You've given us those ears to hear, so let him hear. So as we digest the Bible study tonight, as we go, Lord, may our faith in you increase. You promised that the faith we have would grow um, by the teaching and the hearing of the word of God. And we're so grateful for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that does open up our eyes. So Lord, bless us as we go out tonight. We, I wanna pray as we present the gospel uh, at Al's funeral tomorrow that there'll be those who will maybe see for the first time what Al Stolman was all about. So we pray that you go before us now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.